Mike on Much Podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman. We have our friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman, with us. We also have our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham, joining us. Guys, a lot is going on in the world. We're going to get to topics sort of off the top. Uh, but before that, we have a guest on this show. We have a feature interview later on in the episode. Uh, it's an interview uh, or a conversation with Christopher Beha, who is the author of uh, The Index of Self-Destructive Acts, which you may have heard Max recommend in our year-end show. Um, so we'll get to him in a bit uh, and we'll set that all up. But before we get to anything, Max, I feel like you were really hot to record this episode today because of everything that's going on in the world of finance. <laughs> my, my specialty, guys. <laughs> Your specialty, yeah. <laughs> oh God, what a crazy time. Um, last night, it felt like I was kind of studying for like a math exam. You know, like you remember back in like in elementary school, high school, where you're trying so hard to understand like a, you know, a simple grade nine math theory. And you're like, I don't understand why this, sh- why the rule is this. Because, you know, math is all about rules. That's what it was like last night for me trying to uh, understand what shorting a stock is. It hurt my brain so much. I started to feel <laughs> tightness in my chest. And the thing is, this is not the first time. I, I think once every, I don't know, 16 months, I go through this thing where I try to learn what shorting the stock is. Uh, and it, and I think, and I get it and then I'll lose it for like 20 minutes and then I'll get it back. And then, and then I start to tell people about it. And I'm particularly embarrassed because my favorite writer of all time is Michael Lewis. And Michael Lewis wrote The Big Short about this very thing. So I can't even really describe what he's exactly talking about. Um, But yeah, I was really excited uh, to learn about it because I felt like, and I can't remember the last time this really happened, in the span of like three hours, it went from like nobody knowing about it, or not nobody, not many people in my friend group knowing about it, to the only thing people were talking about to, to right now. So like last night at, I want to say 6.30 or 7 o'clock, I had never heard, I had never heard of the GameStop Reddit hedge fund situation. Max, tell me though, because you never respond to this. I put in the in our pod group at like 4.30, hey guys, there's this thing percolating in the world of finance and I sort of give a breakdown and no one responded. And then at 11.30 re- at night, <laughs> Max goes, hey guys, have you read about this GameStop thing? I'm <laughs> okay. like, I literally fucking, I wrote that at 4.30. <laughs> okay, see, I must have missed that somehow. And then and then I took the credit for the scoop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But um, it was... Yeah, there's just so many things uh, colliding at once in the culture. Uh, but, but Shane, when did you hear about it? When I told, when I broke the news? No, I or when saw Mike. Mike when Mike really broke the news, I clicked it <laughs> and I was like, you know, casually reading it, like every other word. I was like, oh, video game stocks are going through the roof, and I just closed it. <laughs> like that's all I deduced. I was like, oh, video games. And then when Max took interest. My ears perked up a little bit because I'm like, if Max is really on board with this, Mm. because Mike has more of a varied interest. So to me, it's like, oh, if Mike's interested in it, I could be, but I could not be. But if you are, I figured I'd be more likely to be fascinated in it. Yeah, why is that, Shane? Let's let's take that for a second because um, this is actually kind of an interesting thought because we're always Mm -hmm. sending each other links. Amongst our friends, whose do you take the least serious? Who do you take the most serious? Whose taste do you like the most? Like when Sean Dawson sends me a link, I yeah. think he's really curated it for me. So I'm going yes. to to look at it. And then there's other people who like my friend Book Club Maddie. He's sending me shit all day long. And I really have to suss through what I'm going to click on. Well, you're uh, good, Max, because you write hit songs, right? Mm, so you know you. what yeah. the people want. 
Yeah, popular. So all your stuff is kind of interesting to everybody in their own way. Mm. Sean is a great curator, so he he can kind of pinpoint uh, what you're going to like. And Mike is too well read almost, where he's just reading everything and yeah. almost finding little nuggets of things that are interesting where it Mike, doesn't always problem, connect yeah. with me. Yeah, I, I think he's... You know, it's like if he was a baseball player, it would be a good batting average, but it's yeah. not good if for a reading average. The other thing with Mike is that he's sometimes into shit I don't care about, like uh, yeah. Star Trek. Uh, yes. There's a few niche things that I don't care, so that's where I'm like a little, I don't know. And also, you read a lot. And you. Mm-hmm. the other thing, actually, one is one of your best qualities, Mike, is that you can find a lot of different things really interesting. Like, that, that, that's what makes you a good interviewer, too, is yeah. that you can sort of talk to anybody about anything. And because you because you're smart, I, as soon as I don't understand something, I'm like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, let's well, carry on. I'm, I'm not that smart. The funny thing about this is before we were recording for our listeners, we were going to have our, our good friend and co- co-host of the pedestal, John Poplison, <laughs> just because we were like, he knows a little bit more about the, the finance and, and just the idea of shorting, like Max said. And we've all been reading about this for 24 hours. And the reason I wanted to have someone else on is because I knew that you guys were going to ex- expect me to explain this. And so right, be- <laughs> right before we started recording, Max is like, yeah, so we're not going to have John. He's like, but Mike, you can like, you can do the heavy lifting. I'm like, don't put that. I knew you were going to put this on me. And now I've, got to- and now I've got to explain fucking shorting the market. I And to your point, Max, I do think I sort of understand how this all works now after a million metaphors and people have tried to work it out. But it I is complicated. I didn't like the analogy that you put on your Instagram. I didn't think it even made sense. Mine? Max's. Yours. Your buddy sent you a text oh the guitar one how does that make sense so it kind of like, made more sense to me um let's say but, i borrow a guitar it says or, yeah, yeah. And, and then i sell that guitar for 20 dollars. i can just then read the, yeah, yeah read you okay, what, do it uh, yeah read it breaker uh wrote okay you have a guitar that sucks i borrow it i then sell it to mike for 20 smackers mike tried to shred and realized it's unshreddable that's a guitar thing when you're shredding guitar i'm like hey sorry i'll buy it back for you for five smackers mike says fuck you take it I pocket the 15 smackers and give you back your turd guitar. Anyway, um, but let's let's not get into bad um, explanations. Mike, can you try to briefly explain what shorting a stock is? Go. <laughs> well, I, I guess for our listeners, and this is a very sort of popular story, but what people need, I, I guess that the... the the, the I'm gonna try this. I'll try again. You're gonna you're, you're gonna be great. You're gonna be great. All right, all right. So 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 GameStop is a is a company, and their stock had gone very low. And at some point uh, over the last couple months, uh, they'd implemented a like a new CEO. So the stock jumped slightly, but not like a ton. I guess Wall Street and these hedge funds had bet that that stock would then again drop. So they got in and they wanted to short it. I think I'm understanding this right. So they 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 sold a bunch of that stock uh, at a price that they thought they were going to get a deal on when they had to go back and buy, like when they came up due. A bunch of these guys on Reddit recognized this, saw that this stock was dirt cheap, and they were like, if we buy a bunch of this stock, it's going to jack the price of this stock. And all these hedge funds that basically made an agreement to sell it at, let's say, like three bucks a stock, when they have to go back and buy it now, they're going to have to buy it at $300 a stock. So so basically, all of these Reddit people inflated illegally the value of a stock, of this stock, of GameStop, to the point where all these hedge funds that have made a bet on this stock to be shitty now have to pay the value of the inflated price. So they're all freaking out. They're saying, this isn't this isn't fair. This is against sort of the spirit of the stocks. It's illegal. It's actually illegal. It is to, illegal. To, to conspire together in this way. The, the thing is, though, that like, 
um, hedge funds and Wall Street, they manipulate markets all the time in sort of like a similar way. So like the hypocrisy of it all is it's like, okay, when these guys are sort of manipulating markets or like betting on companies to fail and not investing in sort of the true sense of investing, which is that you invest in a company you think is going to do well, your stock will rise. They're basically, they're manipulating markets in, in a certain way. All these people on Reddit are saying, hey, the minute we band it together and do this, you guys shut it down. And as of But that's not the rules. And they're the house, right? It's like a casino. <laughs> The house can do things that the uh, the person, the patron can't. And the house is the, the, what the SEC uh, working with Wall Street to sort of like, or the SEC makes the rules. Wall Street knows how to manipulate the rules, and then this new band of pirates are like, "Oh, here's some new shit. We found a loophole that you guys don't even know about." And the Wall Street guys are like, "Oh, okay, uh, now we're fucked." No, but right? they didn't know about it, and they, that's why they made it illegal. They made they said, "No, no, no, you can't do this stuff." Yeah, but I guess the issue is that they shouldn't, we don't understand ethically why people are allowed to short stocks anyway. Like, why are they allowed to buy those GameStop stocks and then sort of bet on it going down to make a quick profit, like in the future? Like, you can't sell something that you don't have. And that's kind of, that's where it gets confusing for people. And that, I think I understand it. And that's why it'd be nice to have somebody who could explain it to us like toddlers. But the, I guess it's the act of shorting that is like unethical to people, even though it's legal. And then so it's like this act was is illegal, but it feels almost like playing in the same with the same sort of murky area that these hedge fund managers have been doing forever. Yeah, yeah. you're you're welcome, listeners. <laughs> and that's what shorting is. Well, the other thing I read this good um, article on Substack about it. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just gonna. One of the things I wanted to ask somebody is it's like I think I understand like what's going on what i don't understand is like the actual mechanism like how does a hedge fund get these stocks and then sell them at a price that then is to be determined later like is it like just a button on an app is it like you know like people keep talking about these like contracts and stuff i want to know practically how that gets done you know like people have been sharing the margot robbie in a bathtub thing to sort of explain how the housing market worked where they bundled a bunch of shitty mortgages but they called them prime mortgages i do think i understand it i would just like like a trader to come on and explain to me how you get from a to z and it would seem by design they make it complicated so that plebes like me can't understand it and then just give up and go watch hoops well i think that's the other thing is is it goes really quickly like the market moves super fast and it's all computer generated so a lot of these moves are happening or they, i think back in the day you used to sort of like put your stock market in with the guy who collects the what the investment or you or the sale or whatever uh and then it was it was more of a human thing now these mm-hmm. these stocks move so so quickly like you know in, in um another michael lewis book uh they basically talked about how one stock one finance guy figured out how to like get the stock trade like point seconds faster than the rest of the market and that was able to actually in in like the point two seconds because they actually had like a fiber channel going from like fucking ohio to new york they were able to sort of like manipulate the market there and make Mm -hmm. deals in front of people so all this stuff is happening really really quickly um but it is it does feel like very obscure to your point mike like it's it's very kind of hard to follow because it feels like very abstract. Because the thing is like with the with the idea of the stock market um, back in the day makes sense to me. Where it's like, okay, you have a company 
and you want to raise some more capital so you can do more stuff, right? You're like, okay, I only have 25 bucks, but hey, anybody else wanna donate me some money? You can be a little share in the company. And okay, now we have $100, now we can make that much more steel or whatever the fuck you're making. I get that. And so that's where someone becomes a shareholder. You become a part owner of the business. Like that is all very like A to B transactions that are, is very easy for my mind to understand. The idea of somebody like owning a bit of a company and then lending a bit of your comp- like your ownership, which is a stock, to somebody else to fuck around with and then give it back to you a little bit later and to trade on that, that is where it becomes like way more abstract. And that's why I think it's a lot, it's very confusing. There's another element to this story too, that one of the ways that, so there's this, this app called Robin Hood that you guys have been reading a lot about this. And so this, this Robin Hood app is a free way for people to basically do stock. So like if you had the Robin Hood app on your phone and you wanted to go and buy, uh, you know, say we were public Mike on much shares, you could go and just sort of the common person could do this without a broker. You wouldn't really have to get in. You know, it's, it, it's sort of sold as a way for the common person to learn and understand how to trade stocks. Uh, the reason that they've sort of are in the news right now and in the crosshairs is a lot of these like sort of redditors and all of this this money they got pumped into GameStop. It, it was ha- happened through an app like and primarily I think through Robinhood. The problem is Robinhood. You go okay, well, how do they have a free app? How do you not pay for this sort of like you know the ability to trade like this? What Robinhood does apparently is it's free for you to use it, but what they do is they sell the information to hedge funds, I believe showing like so they get a, a split second head start i guess on what stocks are hot what's being dumped they can basically curate that info so as we know nothing's free facebook's not free they're you're the product you know they're looking at what you're looking at so robin hood their allegiance would obviously be to the hedge funds because that's where they get paid they don't get paid by the users so what happened a couple like hours before we started recording is robin hood froze all trading on gamestop and other companies that this sort of reddit uh, board has like targeted like blockbuster is up uh, uh nokia's up like all these sort of like amc theater yeah amc's like famous names that have taken a huge dive that these guys have targeted and been like fuck it let's like let's boost these stocks Robin Hood app has literally, and ironically, Robin Hood, you know, something called Robin Hood, which is about stealing from the rich and giving to the poor, is now like freaking out. So they've frozen trading on these things. And basically, anybody that had like uh, GameStop at, say, like 360 a stock, I think they averaged it out at like 160. And they were like, you can. You can either take this or leave it. It's like really crazy. And so like the, the Twitter and everybody's losing their minds right at Ro- Robin Hood doing this. Yeah. So basically oh. like all these guys that were like boasting that they, you know, some guy put 25K into GameStop like three days ago and that guy's up 5 million. It's like there, I, I think that Robin Hood now is doing something with the app where they've kind of frozen the trading. So now everybody's freaking out about that. Uh, Anyway, it's just a very fascinating, sprawling story. And a lot of people keep talking about the implications it's going to have going forward. Um, again, like it's not like the three of us are sophisticated traders or even... Here's my question. When you guys walked out of the big short, did you feel like you had a handle on all this? No, I hated it. I hated that fucking movie. <laughs> I was annoyed the entire time in the theater. Why? Because you couldn't yeah, understand I saw it? it with... Well, I was sitting too close. I, I went out for dinner with... <laughs> with Birchall beforehand and then we ended up sitting way too yeah we were eating dinner went a little bit long and then uh yeah i had to sit basically at the front and it was like a dizzying type of movie Mm. and i was getting that stress sweat the entire time and when they try to break it down to you in that guitar way with like selena gomez in the bathtub it just felt even (laughs) margot robbie but whatever yeah no there's selena Selena gomez Gomez 
She's yeah. in the bathtub? Okay, maybe they're both. Well, in the she bed. might oh. not be in the bathtub. I think she's in like a at a poker game or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just made me more frustrated because mm-hmm. like you were saying at the beginning of this, when somebody breaks it down in a really simple way and you still don't understand it, mm-hmm. it's even more annoying. Yeah. And just the way it was shot, I don't know. I, I didn't like that movie. Mm-hmm. Max, did you walk out of the big short, the film by Adam McKay, feeling like you had a real handle on things? No, uh, clearly. I mean, I still am confused by it, uh, mm-hmm. by the stock stock market. I like the fact that there's all these famous people in it. And I like that Michael Lewis wrote a book about just how the market is this like weird beast and there's like a personality type that are really drawn to it and can do really well and take advantage and how it's like, it's sort of like a soulless place. Um, yeah, I, I think it speaks to like, I, I don't want to stereotype here, but like a certain kind of guy who just like loves to bet on stuff and like gets a real rush out of that. And and, and we all have, you know, have friends like you, Mike, you love gambling on sports and so does the nut and our friend Brent. And it's like, we have lots of people who love gambling on sports. And this is like a whole other level of, uh, of gambling, which seems like it's a real rush that seems kind of disconnected from, the real world, even though it has real world consequences. You know, and, it has you know the mean? most implications in real world. Yeah. People work at these companies that mm-hmm. sometimes they manipulate markets to drive down stock prices. People own these homes where these mortgages go bust. Like it's, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Do you think, I mean, do you think there's more, um, th- this is happening because everyone's at home right now? Like would this have happened anyway or, or and it just wouldn't have been such a big story? Like, or is it because, I just feel like there's so many things happening in the world right now that are a result of people being bored at home. Like the sea shanty thing on TikTok. Have you guys followed this at all? With no. Nickelback? Well, basically there's this trend on TikTok where sea shanties are really popular. Like those Irish, whatever. Um, and like there's remixes of sea shanties. People are getting record deals from sea shanties. Like And like it's like this kind of obscure musical genre that has not been popular forever. And big popular acts are doing like remixes, as you said, Nickelback. Um, and, I, and I just think it's so odd. Any, anyway, I, uh, I made a kind of a half-joking sea shanty so, uh, song today with our song Fake Money, which has always been a bit of like a Celtic thing. And, and it's called <laughs> Fake Money. So I was like, oh, this is actually a funny cross-section of what's going on in the culture right now. Uh, between the sea shanty and the big short because fake money is about banker assholes. And uh, mm. Huffington Post just picked it up. And I'm in this big explainer uh, where our TikTok is in there as well. Uh, but do you think it's, do you think there's just like weird stuff happening right now uh, that is just, more, I know technology is moving really quickly, but like these kinds of stories are like, you know, taking hold of the public's imagination way more than they would otherwise. Yeah. How many views did your TikTok get? Uh, it went from like, it's up at like 10,000 now. Like it just sort of like went, like when I left this afternoon from my walk, it was like at 600. And they're really. Is, is that your most TikToked thing that you've done? No, 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 no. But maybe it will be. Who knows? We'll okay. see where it's at by the end of the recording of this. Yeah. But, but yeah, I do think people are doing this shit because they're, they're locked at home and they got to be a little bit more crafty for fun. I. I as I was reading all this and thinking about like just all the people that are sort of talking about this that don't, you know, it's in all these different message groups I'm in and it's just like a huge topic of conversation. Do you think people will become like if, if you're like like a stock bro or somebody in that world and it's kind of like this obscure, it's like this hard to understand thing by design. 
are more people going to just understand it because of this massive news story? Like, are like, are you like, ah, oh, shit, they're actually going to figure out the secret here, or is it like actually too sophisticated for people to figure out? This is this is what is awesome about what's happening right now is that. I'm not the first person to make this argument is that like the Bay Street guys just like or the hedge fund people like, uh, you know, say things in complicated terms and they intentionally make these concepts complicated. So people like us go, oh, I don't know what's going on. But there's a bunch of smart kids that are like 18, 19 year old on Reddit and are like getting YouTube tutorials on it and TikTok and shit. They go, hold on a second. That's all it is. That's all you motherfuckers are doing. Oh, I could just do that. Okay, fuck you guys. I'm gonna go do that. There's something awesome happening about taking the power back, which um, which I think is great. And I, I feel like you see this in every kind of industry. There, there are these people, you know, the gatekeepers that want you to think that it's like, oh, you you couldn't do that. This is sort of what we do. Like middle middle management does this all the time. You know, we're like, oh, you don't know how to do that, and and you feel like you're getting like gaslit a lot. <laughs> but when you actually kind of pull back the curtain and you go, wait a second, that's all. That's all this is. Okay, fuck you. And you guys are making all the money. Fuck you. Which so would you agree with, like with it with that? Mike? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's I think that's what's so I think that, that's why this story has so many legs. I think that's like, you know, they said that a story needs a certain amount of things to become like truly like a national story. And I think that the reason this story is a phenomenon is because you have that going on. Um and it just feels like um like a grassroots sort of thing that actually like worked. And it's like, if the villain is a bunch of billionaires, like some of the funniest tweets are like, yeah, it's all fun and games, but you know what happens when this guy has to lose like his third home, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. or, 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 or he, I, you know, I, I think I can't remember who tweeted this one, but it was something like, um, guys, this is like really crushing. I was going to buy my wife a yacht. And now I had to like, you know, work up the courage to ask my dad to borrow the money to buy the yacht for my wife. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like the people that are, are getting hurt here ostensibly are like, who gives a shit? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I agree. Max, I you thought get- it was interesting. This uh, Shaney and another group mm-hmm. where Max, te- he texted that he thinks this story is bigger than coronavirus. That's the quote. And I said <laughs> I was going to quote him on the pod for that one. He said, do it defiantly. Well, you don't actually believe that, Max. No. Well, I, I was joking because our friend Jay didn't know what was going on. And a little story about Jay. So Jay is our uh, carpenter, c- contractor friend. I, he lived with me at, on our Kell Street. And... Um, we had a kegger and we made eight hundred dollars uh, on the kegger. It was like a really successful night. You know, we had a bunch of people over Saturday night. Had like five kegs. Everyone paid ten bucks at the door. And then Jay came to us the next morning. We're all hung over, and he's like, "Guys, I think we put this money in the stock market because my dad is on the stock market, and we can really. He's got a good lead on some shit, and let's do it." And so we're like, "Okay, tell me more. We don't know anything about the stock market." Jay's like, "Just give me the money." And we're gonna be we're gonna be rich. I'm like sick. So we put it in some stock. I don't even know what it was. It might have been like oil or something. Like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we uh, and then we were all like checking in on the on the on the internet every day, being like, oh, it's going up, it's going up, it's going up. And then it started to go down, 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 down. And then we asked Jay what happens to the money. And then Jay said he was gonna talk to his dad. He never got back to us. We <laughs> lost all the money. So anyway, <laughs> we. Um, so I always thought of Jay as the stock market guy because he seemed like he had some like good experience in the stock market. And when I mentioned this whole GameStop thing, he had no clue what the fuck we were talking about. I was like, Jay, you of all people, you have no idea. And then we we explained it to him and he was really impressed or blown away. I don't know. 
here's my here's my this is my stock story uh what happened was, um, so our, Shane and I, our boss, Randall, is very into stocks. A couple of the guys we work with, other producers, they're like stock, stock, stocks. Like there was a lot of stock talk kind of happening in like our work area for a while there. Bitcoin guy, whatever, you know, all that kind of <laughs> yeah. shit that like just kind of washes over me. Yeah. But what happened was uh, Beyond Meat was going to go public. And mm. Shane and I were like obsessed with the Beyond Meat burgers. We were, were you guys like, vegetarians at the time? Were you guys in your vegetarian? I, I, I don't eat beef or pork, so like mm. that was like the only way I could have a burger, right? Mm. Um, Shane, were you veggie at the time? I know we were both just on those burgers hard, but we both loved the Beyond Meat burgers, and so we were talking about it in the office. And I was saying they're going to go public, but I didn't even know how you could buy a stock. But if I could have at the time, I would have put some money in it just because whatever. So Randall, our boss, one day was just like, because the stock went through the fucking roof. He was like, thanks, boys. He's like, I made a, I made a lot of money on Beyond Meat. We're like, huh? He's like, your enthusiasm for the product really convinced me <laughs> to invest money. So he just threw a bunch of money at it, made a quick profit. And when it like skyrocketed, he sold and got out. And I was just sitting there like, what the hell? I'm like, I could have made that quick money. I'm so dumb. So I immediately went to the bank and I opened like, <laughs> a stock trading account i was like i would need to know how to do this tell me how to do this so the lady walks me through it so like if i go on my app now i could like put money into my like trading account and then like buy stocks like i could just look it up and buy it so i figured out how the mechanism worked and i was like, gonna do it i was like do i get into beyond me now and then my brother's like there's something else coming down the pike and then people started giving me advice because i was getting into the stock game and danica was like do not get into stocks. You could not handle it. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, the minute like a stock goes bust or you miss out on a stock, she's like, you'll just sit there thinking about it. She's like, you're not built for that life. She's like, do what you want with your money, but you're not built with that. And I was like, God damn it. She's probably right. Oh yeah. I had the same talk with you, Mike. You well, did. Well, it was well, Shane. Wait, well, <laughs> I was like, oh, absolutely. Like you don't have the disposition. I was like, I got the account. And then what, what did you say to me? You like gave me a big talk in the office. Well, it was just, I, I knew how it was going to go. And I was like, I have to work with you. And then there'll be times where you're just like not wanting to talk. And you'll just be like, no, no. Like you wouldn't like riding it out for the bad times, right? You no. would just be like, why did I fucking do this? And you know, you know how you get, right? Oh yeah. So anyway, I've still got my, like my stock trading account sitting there with, I've never used it. And I've, and I've honestly, this story came along and you have fantasies where it's like, oh, imagine if I actually took an interest in this. And instead of reading like, you know, whatever NBA blog, I was on that wall street bro blog on Reddit. I'm like, and then I just got in on this thing and quick, you know, made, you know, 5 million bucks on 10 K. But, but can you sell when, when it is at that height, isn't it hard to even unload it? No, because everybody's buying it. That's the, they're all like the pumping the stock. The, the, the problem or what's interesting now is they're all saying to hold. They're like, don't be a coward, hold strong. Cause Wall Street wants them to sell. They want everyone to sell because then the stock will go, go down again, I think is the way it works. Again, guys, I, I, yeah, I've never used the account. I, uh, I just was pissed that I missed out on Beyond Meat because I, I knew the product, man. Shane, have you invested in the stock market before? No, I don't like getting into stuff I don't understand. So uh, I don't get into much. <laughs> <laughs> Shane, you had, you had a buddy that was big into the stocks that was always trying to give you tips and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Sam's. Like, I, I was more, I was interested in him as a character. So I like talking to him about it and learning about it and going on the ride with him. But I, I, I don't want to, like, if I make a dire mistake and lose a lot of money, there's, like, children and a wife who get hurt and I just... I, I couldn't do that as a, like a married family man. I feel like we know people who work in finance or, you know, work at banks or, you know, insurance and shit. But 
and it seems like the hedge fund guys are like the real assholes here. Like there's other people that are just sort of part of like, you know, the financial like institutions of our country, which are, I guess, kind of important. Right, they are important. Mm-hmm. Do you guys know anybody who's like a straight up like hedge fund villain? Do we know any villains? That's a great question. Because it's it's easy, like, because I feel like most times when you know someone personally, you go, oh, yeah, but they're a good guy, though. Like, because there's there's some Mm. professions that you're like, oh, that guy works in oil and gas, but he's not, like, the bad guy in oil and gas. He's just, like, a guy who works in, like, he's just working in the fucking pits or whatever. It's like, oh, you talk about a guy who works for a bank, and you're like, oh, well, you know, bank guys, you know. No, but, you know, everyone needs a bank account or whatever, you know. Um but is but sometimes like is that like that private equity sort of like super high rolling playing th- this kind of game? Do we know anybody who does that? I don't know. No, I can't, no, I don't think so. Do we dox them on this pod? <laughs> if we if we knew them, yeah, really? I don't, I don't, I don't think we know anyone that rolls in those circles. Mm, yeah, I'm su- I'm surprised you don't have like a some some high finance friend. You you have like your you have your tentacles in every sort of uh, world. I feel like Max. I'm surprised it's true. you don't know a guy like that. you know what? Because I haven't gone on any Raptors game sitting in the board of directors lounge to to hobnob with those folks. But you know that. See if the Raptors were playing at home right now, I could go to the game. I would be asking everybody in the board of directors. I'm like, what's going on with that stock? Are you involved in that stuff? Do you got any tips? You know, I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, fuck. Um, uh, yeah, I, but I don't think any of us have any interest really uh, in the stock market, right? Except for no. the wanting to make lots of money. Because I like guaranteed fun. money, and I'm more interested in tax breaks. Like I was, uh, <laughs> I, I was talking to a, a guy, like a very successful banking guy, and he said I can pay each of my kids twelve thousand dollars, or maybe it's up to twenty five thousand each kid a year because of this family tree. Mm, and that's then right. write write that off or something and get like a bunch yeah because they're like employees money. of you they're but they're employees, also the full, yes. full, yeah so you're so little Lucy and the other one they're each yeah. you know tax breaks yeah so I could make a ton of money off these kids no laugh from the other one <laughs> what's that <laughs> Shaney boy have you guys thought about having a third employee no way <laughs> that's Who weird Lucy just yelled daddy as you said that but um, <laughs> don't do it no uh, I haven't no. Three would be insane. I, I think if you have three, uh, you are, have a special disposition because it seems impossible. Like two is so much harder than one. Now, did you say employee or kid, Mike? I, I said employee. I was riding that, that, that train. <laughs> we want yeah, to have the tax breaks. He was, you know, yeah. I was riffing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see. I see. Um, all right. Well, well, I don't know. How do we summarize this story? I, I will say, Max, I haven't seen you this excited uh, in so long. I feel like this story really juiced you. You know what? Another thing I did, I'm recording on my computer, so I'm looking right at you guys. I usually have the phone set up because I trust my computer. And when I have my AirPods in, they cancel all the sound, so I can't really, it's weird to talk to you guys. I just realized this after about like Mm -hmm. 20 episodes of doing it that way. I feel much more comfortable and jacked up about this. But uh, yeah, the, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I think the last thing that I'll say on this um, is there's this big like Reddit um, Robin Hood TikTok component where there's a lot of young people like 19, 20 year olds that are making this thing happen mm-hmm. and it really feels like the first time where I feel like an older person do you know what I mean? Like where I don't feel part of the young generation. Like there's so much like Gen Z stuff happening right now on the internet where I'm like, what is going on? Like I feel like, you know when like you know our parents would be like, what's going on with those fucking kids these days? 
I that's the first time I've I've actually kind of felt like, what is happening? Anyway, I feel like kind of disconnected from it. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you guys send me articles, I feel so disconnected. I feel like you're my kids in a way. You're like sending <laughs> me what's going on with the youth, and I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But it's weird. I'm so not into this story. I put it in the category of the Taylor Swift thing that was going on with her agent. We kept talking about it forever and ever. A scooter Braun. Yeah. 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 The the catalog. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just I'm not interested in it. That's so funny because the, the, the thing that we can't understand is the least interesting part of it. Just the idea that a bunch of like internet pirates together are fucking over a bunch of Wall Street people. That is the part that is. It's a good prank. Yes. Yes. And also blockbusters involved. Like, come on. That's great. That's funny. Yes. And lucrative. Dudes are making dudes made a lot of money. Like the people that were attuned to this, this Reddit board, uh, they, they got in and ostensibly made a lot of money, especially if they sold before it would seem things got shut down. I just need characters for me to really be invested. I need to know, like, if this involved, like, the head guy and he was a funny character and we could talk about his psychology or something. For me, that's what I need to get my teeth into to really get into We'll get get you some characters because there's some good ones. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, And actually, this this would be a good segue because... uh, I was going to do exactly what you're doing, but no, hit it. You're segueing to Christopher Beja. Who's hosting this show? Sorry, go. Mike is hosting. Uh-oh. I do that sometimes. Max Sorry. is deflated now. No, no, no. I felt bad. I felt bad. I felt bad. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. You were, you were going to uh, you were going to segue to Christopher Beha because uh, an element of uh, the index of self destructive acts is finance. You nailed uh, it. And okay. You, you did yeah, exactly what I was going to do. Financial malfeasance, uh, mm-hmm. insider trading. There are elements of that in this book. Um, yeah. So we had this author malfeasance. Because, Good word, Mike. Oh, mm-hmm. thanks. Wow. I read a Christopher Beha a book. Um, Max on our year end esque episode recommended this book. Uh, we were like, I was like, oh, I'll read it. You know, you book club, Maddie, we're into it. Uh, and then you said we're, we're interviewing this author and they sent the book. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta blast through this book, read it in like two days. Uh, it was, I thoroughly, 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 thoroughly enjoyed it. It's one of the, the best reads I've, I've had in a very long time. Actually, one of the only reads I've had in a long time, because as Shaney knows, once you have a kid, you just don't have a lot of time. Um, but I was like reading this for the pod. So like I had like a reason to really dig into it. Um, but yeah, I, I loved the book. Uh, we get into all of the characters, the motivation, uh, who they might be based on. Um, yeah, Max, what were your impressions of uh, Christopher Beha in our conversation? Well, well, something about the, the t- what you mentioned at the top, Shane, when it comes to my recommendations, when you have somebody who reads a lot of novels and they go, oh, you got that's a good novel. Oh, check out this. Novel. And then you're like, I don't even know where to fucking start. This is what it's like talking to Book Club Maddie. He reads so much and he goes, oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, you might enjoy that. When you someone like me who reads like three novels a year and I actually finish the novel, I'm like, this is good. Because I start a lot of books, don't necessarily finish all of them. And uh, I loved every part of the book you know there's um we, we get into it but there's like you know seven different main characters and each one has a voice like kind of per chapter um and it really kind of spoke to all my interests basically it's like a perfect venn diagram of uh sports politics class new york city different neighborhoods um you know there's a wide re- the the war in iraq uh, like all that stuff is is in this book um wall street um, and I just haven't been like, ex- you know, that feeling when you get excited to read a book, I think we talked about this on the, on the podcast the other day, 
I was so excited to uh, to talk to the man himself because when you're talking, when you're reading a book and you go, I wonder what the author was going for there. I wonder who, what character he based this person on. And so we had a chance to ask all those questions. It was great. Yeah. And so for our listeners, if you are thinking of picking up this book, uh, sort of a quick synopsis is it is a fictional book that takes place around nonfiction events. So it all takes place in 2009, just after Obama had been elected, uh, just after sort of the the, the financial collapse and the bailouts um, coming off of George W. Bush. Uh, and then it takes place around sort of this fictional guy from the from Wisconsin, I believe, uh, who moves to New York City. He's like a Nate Silver type who predicted Obama's uh, electoral election perfectly. And he goes to write. And essentially, we then enter this world of this wealthy family and this sort of celebrity who's been disgraced. And all of those sort of like connectors and the way that that, that all comes together just makes for like really, really sort of juicy and compelling reading so uh yeah good reco max uh i I enjoyed it a lot and because i enjoyed it i was excited to to talk to this author how did we get this how did we get christopher on this this show would you just reach Uh, out i think as we know the publisher in canada and they they connected the dots and he by the way he's also the editor of harper's magazine that's his real full-time job so he's not just a novelist um he he edits a very fine magazine as well you did ask about the infamous harper's letter uh, but then you bailed. You sort of sidestepped it. You brought it up and then took oh, a left. I, <laughs> that's yeah. for another pod. We'll get him back. <laughs> what is the Harper's letter? Just look up the Harper's letter. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And he was the editor behind it. Yeah. All right. So, guys, we're going to get to Christopher Beha. And then when we come back, we're going to do a Shane surprise. You guys want to get to Christopher? Let's do it. All right, thanks for joining us. Uh, we both we both love the book. That's why we wanted to, to have you on. Um, yeah, I, I guess we'll, we'll we'll get into the book and get, what were you going to say, Max? I feel like you're going to say. Well, something. I was going to say. Um, so typically, uh, Christopher, do you like Chris or Christopher? Um, Chris is fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> He's being polite, Max. Yeah. You start with the um, tough questions. <laughs> let's well, let's go with Chris. Okay. Um, well, this the the show we have. This podcast is more like sort of pop culture and music and entertainment. We don't talk to a lot of um, you know writers, or, or I should say novelists. And but and I don't read a ton of novels. Uh, I, I love consuming sports. I love consuming politics and, and media and all that coverage. And I'm on Twitter and we, it's a big topic of conversation in everyday life. But I don't read a lot of books. But my two uh, best friends from childhood both read it and said, Max, this is a book you will actually finish because it is actually up your alley in every way. And I was joking with Mike about it. Like the Venn diagram of my interest is exactly <laughs> this book. And I blew through it. And it was, it was such a joy to read. And I was like, telling my dad who grew up on the Upper West Side in New York. Uh, I was telling him all about it. He grew up loving Willie Mays. And so a lot of the characters really resonate with me. And I, and I was, and he, and I'm, he's going to read it. And even people who, uh, I was just telling random anecdotes from various parts of parts of the book, just to people, just because I thought it was so fantastic. Um, but anyway, so this is not a traditional like literary podcast, but, but we're, so, we're really excited to, to have you here. Well, I mean, I guess that's kind of one of the places I want to start. You know, you talk about sort of the Venn diagram of, of interest, Max, and I always wonder, as an author, for you, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff going on in here. You know, the, the characters, you know, Margot speaks so sort of like poetry is a huge part of her relationship with Frank, and you have baseball, obviously, with Sam and Frank. Um, there's there's finance, there is religion. Are those 
interests of yours naturally, or do you have to do a lot of research in order to sort of dig in and to write with, you know, uh, knowing sort of not authority, but sort of like the understanding that the characters have, do you have to have that? And did you have to find that? A lot of it are things that are naturally interesting to me. Um, I definitely did a ton of research because when, when you have these different characters who are kind of experts in things, if only by way of personal experience, and you want to write from their perspective, you have to turn yourself into something of an expert. So something that I might have had just uh, casual interest in, I needed to uh, do more research about. Um, but I'd say that all of these things are, are there, there's nothing that's in the book because I had some abstract sense that it would work in the book right. and it was what was best for the story. And then I just like started learning about it. It, it, it was all stuff that I wanted to write about. What domain did you have to do the most research for, would you say? Was there a particular scene where you're like, I don't know how this works. I got to look into this. The, the stuff that I really came at it with nothing about is, um, as you guys know, one of the, there's seven kind of main characters who each get their turn having the book kind of be about them. Um, and one of them who otherwise um, shares a lot of my background, who grew up uh, in the same neighborhood that I grew up in, in Manhattan and went to a school that's sort of based on the school that I went to and all this other stuff. Mm. When he gets out of college, he, he enlists in the army uh, and he serves in Iraq. Um, and then as the book starts, he's just come back and he's trying to sort through sort of reintegrating himself into um, civilian life. Um, I have none of that experience. Uh, mm. So, and, and that's something that obviously, um, there's a number of uh, writers who have combat experience who have written some really magnificent books um, about um, Iraq and Afghanistan and the past generation of, uh, you know, overseas uh, uh, military engagement by the U.S. Uh, I don't have that, that expertise. Um, and so I really had to start from scratch. And, and, and it was important to me to, like, be getting it right. Yeah. With the time, with the time period, I was wondering. You know, you mentioned, um, you, you know, you, someone you went to school with had the experience of enlisting. This takes place just just about over a decade ago. Sort of the, the you know, President Obama just gets elected. You have the financial collapse. Were you? Did you target that area because it's sort of ripe for drama? There's a lot going on historically, or is that personal to you? What happened? I thought that there was a lot of interesting things happening in that moment, but what it really was is this book. Had a very long gestation period, and it was pretty soon after um, that period itself that I first started thinking about it. The book is set in 2009, and it was probably like 2011 or so. Ah. Um, I was halfway through a different book. Um, I finished that book and then wrote another book and then sat down and wrote this book. So, so that's how long this was just percolating in my head. Um, mm. And when I was thinking about it, and then it took me six years to write the book. So, 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 so 2009 um, is, is, is more than a decade in the past by the time the book is out. And it's also, you know, once 2016 happened, everything before then is like ancient history, you know? So, so it came to seem like a historical novel that was about this moment in time that we were like fairly distant from, but at the time I started writing it, I was just writing about what was, or started thinking about writing it. I, I, the idea was that it would be about a moment that we were more or less still in. 
You know, I, I know the, the book, uh, the, the title of the book is, is from Bill James. Uh, and so for anybody who's into baseball, of course, is familiar with Bill James. Um, and I think, w- the, you know, if you were to read like a descriptor of the first couple lines, like, oh, it's baseball. and But I don't really think baseball is much of a theme uh, in the book uh, compared to everything else that's going on. Um, and actually, the way I would describe it when I was telling friends about it was, was like, well, this, the, the first sort of central character that you hear about is, is sort of like a Nate Silver kind of character. This this sort of pollster that comes to national acclaim uh, because he predicts the election right. And, and he gets this sort of hot chop job and he's a, a celebrity almost overnight in a way. Um, and as you kind of go through the characters in the book, the, the whole time I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, who is Frank Doyle? Who is the composite character? <laughs> so so I, I love to play that g- game with you like um if we just kind of go through the you know this the seven main characters like uh i would you agree that you know starting with uh sam like um that he'd be a, a sort of base on that archetype yeah uh, he has a lot of the the sort of external publicly known uh biographical facts of nate silver and i should say i don't know nate silver um mm. and i don't has Nate read this book that yet? Does he know that he? I, I actually don't know about that. I, I'm friendly with his editor, uh, with the the woman who edited the Signal and the Noise, and mm. and and at the time the book was coming out, I was going to send him a copy, and I reached out to her, and she was basically like, "The lead up to a presidential election is is the busiest time every <laughs> not, not every not year, but once every four years." She was like, "He's not even going to reply to my email." let alone read your 500 page novel. Um, but now, and it's, and it's a little creepy too, to just, to just write to someone and be like, I wrote this novel about you. I, that's the first thing I would do. I would, <laughs> well, you and I are different though. So, so, but so, so now I, the, the, you know, the book, uh, you know, got well reviewed and, and, and stuff like that. And it has this, some like legitimacy to it. We're, we're a little ways away from it. And, and now, you know, if Nate listens to your podcast, I will tell him I'm happy to send him uh, a copy. <laughs> but but I, I, I'm going to to start back up that effort to, to get a copy to him. One thing is that a number of people who have read it have described it as sort of a um, like a satire of Nate Silver or like I'm kind of sending up this this kind of worldview. And to that extent, you also don't want to send a book to someone that's like I based a character on you and then kind of made fun of him. Uh, but I don't think of it that way. And I don't think you know, so. Bill James has read the book and, 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 and he liked it. Um, Rob Nyer, who's also a very prominent, if you people who are baseball stat head analytic types will know him, um, a, a number of people. And, 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 and I grew up not just a big baseball fan, but really loving the numbers elements of the game and a bit of a, of a, of a, of a analytics geek myself um so i i'm conscious of the limits of that worldview and i I, i'm I'm interested in playing that worldview off against some of the others in the book but there isn't one view that like i think is the right one you know it's not like i think like margo's more poetic understanding of how to go through the world that's that's the way you you live and then this sort of statistical minded thing is very limiting and then this other I, i think they're all they're all interesting worldviews. I have a, a, a part of me, I think, is in each of those characters, and that's to me what makes a good novel. You know, it's not 
it's not an argument for one one worldview versus another. It's it's a it's an experiment in putting them in contact with each other and sort of seeing what happens. Well, you mentioned uh, Kit. Uh, so you mentioned the school that you went to growing up in, in New York City and. Um, Kit's background and like, you know, her father's ascent to wealth uh, and sort of prominence in New York City. It's so rich. Um, was that was that based on like a parent in your school? That that was almost entirely invented. Um, Interesting. Uh, yeah. So so I, I, I will say, you know, Frank Doyle, who is um, a, a, a column, longtime columnist for a, a paper that's more or less based on The Times, um, is sort of a a familiar um, old school media presence, but there isn't any one-to-one. Uh, mm. People will know George Will, the conservative columnist, also wrote uh, a number of books about baseball, and he sort of, uh, you know, did the two, and, and it's it's a bit based on him, but Frank doesn't have his politics. Frank is a, a longtime liberal who becomes kind of a neocon Iraq war supporter, um, and that, like, a, a kind of, like a Hitchens or someone like that. Um, yeah. He's kind of a composite of a few different public figures, but everybody else in the book is, is really entirely made up. Um, oh, okay. The, the, the Eddie, who was the character who enlisted, um, I had a, a, a buddy of mine who I went to college with, um, who, who enlisted after we graduated, you know, not right out of school, but he went to law school and then did it when he was in his mid 20s. It was, it was much more, he was on a career track and got off it to, to, to enlist in the way that Eddie did. And, and we had very long conversations in which he told me a lot about his experiences. And, 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 but he, as I said, that character has, has my kind of biographical background, not my friends. But then I, I, I've kind of welded some of his experiences onto it. Um, but all of the other characters, I'd say, um, are, are just invention. When you're, um, when you're writing a scene like, um, you know, when Frank is, we're sort of replaying the moment that Frank sort of had his downfall when he's in the booth with uh, Joe Buck, McCarver. Uh, when you're writing that, do you go, I'm, I'm taking license with real people, you know, like the fictional events are happening in the real world, almost like an alternate history. Um, do you have any trepidation about writing those guys? I, I love that scene. I love the way that Frank was, you know, he thought that Joe, you know, he played out the way that he thought they had a conversation about even inviting him into the booth, you know, his own paranoia and sort of insecurities, like everything about that was wonderful. But I was like, I wonder if Christopher is like, I, I feel, am I taking liberties with Joe? And you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, also, this is the thing about taking so long to write things. Um, like, I was kind of having fun writing about the way that everyone sort of secretly finds Joe Buck completely inspired. <laughs> uh, you know, is, is, is on every uh, sport. He, you would think he must be so completely beloved because he's so totally ubiquitous. And yet, no, you, can, you never find someone who actually likes listening to him on TV. Have you ever seen his talk show? Like that clip of his talk show? It's just like a disaster with Artie Lang. Is it? No. Oh, no, but I do know that he then kind of like he wrote a memoir in which he kind of like uh, was self-effacing and played up this everyone thinks I'm a smug prick kind of uh, um, uh, persona. So to his credit, he kind of beat me to that. Um, <laughs> but I can't, I, you know, everything else, like the, the school that's based on my school does not have the same name. And I've changed. What school is it? Um, I went to elementary school uh, on the Upper East Side, a place called St. David's, and okay. it's a uh, 
Um, it's Catholic, but it's not run by priests. It's like lay mm. on. It's not. It's not a parochial school. Um, and uh, basically, in the fifties, uh, bas- when um, Catholics started, mostly the Irish Catholics started becoming like wealthy enough and members of society, and you had people like the Kennedy clan type people where um, they wanted to have their own, it's almost the equivalent of like the, the Jewish country club um, mm. when they're not allowed into the restricted club, so they're going to make their own. You know, they wanted their own equivalent of most of the private schools are, you know, Protestant, um, you know, Episcopalian or, you know, uh, Methodist or something. So, so anyway, at that, that era, they wanted their own school that was going to be Catholic, but was going to be private and, you know, fancy and society and whatever. So John F. Kennedy Jr. went there. Mm. And um, Rudy Giuliani's kid went there. <laughs> Who became infamous for a moment with the at the podium. Right. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Chris Farley imitated on SNL. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and a couple of other um, somewhat unfortunate uh, ones. But anyway, that's the school. So, well, no, there's, a, there, 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 well, we, we won't get into it. Um, there, there've been some, uh, some notorious uh, oh. alums, but gotcha. I, uh, um, uh, I changed the name and I changed certain things. I just, I, I it wasn't going to be a documentary like that. Even the newspaper he works on isn't called the times. It's called the New York Herald. But for some reason, when it came to the, the, the baseball stuff, I wanted it to be exactly right. Mm-hmm. So the game uh, that takes place that, you know, they go to the home opener of the new Mets ballpark city field. And it is, you know, I watched the video of the game multiple times and everything that happens on the page. <laughs> and, um, and, and one of the things I just like, when I threw them into the booth, I just found myself being like, all right, I'm not going to just make up two. <laughs> I'm just going to throw them in the booth with, uh, Joe Buck and Tim McCarter. Um, and it's, it's not, um, uh, as I said, the rest, the rest of the book, I don't, I don't have a lot of stuff like that. Did, did your school have a, a program for underprivileged kids from Brooklyn or, or did it ever back in the fifties? The program that, uh, that Justin, uh, is in, which is called the bootstrappers is based on a, 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 a prominent program in New York called prep for prep, which, mm sends kids um who are lower income uh to the to private schools but similar to um to this program they take you know justin is is um from a two-parent household um his parents um you know both work and he's 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 got a supportive kind of high functioning uh um environment and that's one of the kind of trademarks of this program that it's based on is it's not just you know what kid is getting the best uh um test scores in his you know public school in uh bedsty or brownsville or whatever but it's what kid has the family structure and background that makes them likely to uh thrive once they get into the mm. schools so it's got a, it's got an amazing track record it's a lot of kids who do a couple of years at these uh private elementary schools and then uh go to various boarding schools and then wind up at you know ivy league schools and stuff like mm. that um so so matt um justin was to some degree based on 
some kids that I went to school with who uh, have a similar background. You mentioned, uh, you know, the Herald is a stand-in for the Times, which I think readers can get. And then Teaser would seem to be a stand-in for Twitter. Uh, did you have alternative names? Do you have like a whiteboard where you're like, or was it always going to be Teaser? Well, well. so one thing I should I should mention about the book is that it's, it's um, kind of part of a world that uh, my other novels are also set in. Ooh, um, like a universe. So, yeah. So this school, St. Albert's, it's kind of based on the school I went to, St. David's. Um, uh, there are characters in every one of the books, all of which are set around like contemporary New York who went to this school. Um, mm. and Max Blakeman, who is um, uh, Sam's editor, uh, is in all of the books. Oh, Actually, okay. Each of the books plays um, somewhat similar role of um, putting people in positions for them to flounder and fail while not actually like having to live with the repercussions. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you're the best person to answer this question because you're the writer of all these books, but what is it about this book uh, that, you know, is getting passed around and shared and those ones are not, if they're all sort of the, the same ilk? Or do you think those books will now have a new life because Mike and I are going to go buy it today? <laughs> like, I mean, that would be great. I, 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 they, they all are supposed to be, are they're not supposed to, they definitely are written as standalone uh, novels. So, this there are there are um you know little notes of overlap from each one that i think would be fun for a reader who has been reading them all along um but it totally is it the same though like is it the same spirit that's actually oh, okay. one of the things that's that so the first one is like is 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 very sort of meditative i would say it's called what happened to sophie wilder and it's about a character who went to this school who's named charlie blakeman he's max blakeman's cousin and it's about his relationship with this ex-girlfriend of his sophie wilder and um it's yeah it's as i say it's it's sort of quiet and and, and meditative um and then the second one arts and entertainments is a um is a satire about a guy who sells a sex tape um, and winds up on a reality show. It's it's meant to be a sort of plot-driven, fast-paced comedy. This guy is a failed actor um, who also went to this school, and his ex-girlfriend becomes a big TV star, um, and he's broke. And his now his wife, um, they want they want to do IVF, and they can't afford it. Um, mm. So he he sells a sex tape. Um, edits himself out of it and tells his wife that some residuals from an ad he did came in. He basically lied to her about it and thinks it'll never come back to him. All right, don't say anything more. You're yeah, we gotta right, get the book. Enough. All right, enough, enough, uh, enough. This is all like the first couple of chapters. So then, so then, anyway, as you can as you can imagine from all of that, it's it's a very different book from this book in terms of tone. Okay. It's it's, it's, uh, it's a satire and it's comic. Mm. So the the, the and then this is obviously a big, expansive, multi-character society novel, family drama, etc. So, so the books, the thing they have in common is um, this contemporary New York setting, but but everything else about them is quite different. Mm. Uh, and I should say, I mean, you, you you hope as a writer that you keep getting better, such that the last thing you did um, is the best thing. So I would I would want to say this anyway, but I do think this book. Is is you know it, it's not a shock to me that it's the one that would get you know mm. nominated for prizes and get a certain amount of attention. It's it's I think it's the best thing I've done. 
Uh, how do you how do you you know the, 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 you're describing your previous books in a sex tape and in, in this book uh, in the index of, index of self destructive acts um, you know there's characters that are doing some like not so great things how do you you know as you're writing like keep from judging the characters too harshly and and worrying about what the audiences might be thinking of these characters I know it's part of the job as a novelist but uh, are there any mental hurdles that you're like I don't want this person to do this shitty thing but here we go they're about to have an affair. Um, one of the things I like about this um, this idea of index of self-destructive acts as the title is that really all novels, you know, of, of a realist vein, there 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 there's a certain kind of heroic novel, right, where it's like this person of great character gets all these challenges thrown at them by the world, and the world comes down on them, and are they going to heroically overcome it? But for most of us in life, like most of the challenges the world faces us are stuff, are our inability to get out of our own way. Does your wife ask you about the like intimate questions <laughs> about your psyche? Honestly, the whole time I'm reading this book, I was like, is this guy married? Like, because I just wouldn't be able to have those conversations. It would be too stressful for me, like where your twisted mind is going. It's not even that twisted of a book, all things considered. But like, what's your conversations with your wife like Let's, is what I want to know. I, I will say... This is a good chance for a plug anyway. So my wife is a novelist, and mm. uh, she, her, her, her novel, um, which is called Who is Maude Dixon, is coming out in March. Um, and it is about a true sociopath. I mean, it's a thriller. <laughs> so the, the, the bad behavior uh, in my novel is like nothing compared to the bad behavior <laughs> in her novel. Uh, and actually, she I, she has a blurb from James Patterson in which he says, um, "By the end of the book, I wondered if Alexandra Andrews was a murderer." <laughs> so, so, like, if you think, like, yeah, she would be like, "What's going on with Chris?" When she reads my work, it's a whole different, it's a whole different. Level. Have you thought about um, because in the in the and we were talking about this before we got on the Zoom. Uh, how fun a movie this could be. And I, I, I'm sure every Let's author... Let's get this thing optioned, man, if it's not yeah. already done. Do you think it works as a movie? And, uh, it works yeah. as like a, as like a, a, a multi-episode... A series. Like a, mm. series, like a limited Prestige. series, I guess, is the HBO. term. HBO? HBO? HBO or for Showtime. Prestige. Which one do you want, Chris? <laughs> Let's make Showtime happen. Well, yeah. Showtime? Okay. Cool. Yeah. You know some um, people. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, I think it could be... I mean... To, to me, I'm, I'm a, uh, the novel is like my form, not just in terms of what I obviously do, but like I watch some, I watch some TV, but the thing I most like to engage with when I want a good story is reading a novel, you know? So, um, I would love for all sorts of reasons, uh, for them, for someone to option it. It'd be nice to have the money. It would be nice if that drove people to read the book. But for the writer, for if you write a novel, you want that to be the kind of definitive version of the story. Um, and I do think there are elements of it that you'd like to think um, that sort of could only exist on the page. You know, it's not just uh, meant to be written as a um, uh, as a treatment. You know, for the screen, it's meant to have elements to it that you can only do on the page. But I think there's a lot of stuff. You know, it's pretty plot driven. Um, and, uh, there, there certainly is, uh, are a lot of things in it that, that could get moved to the screen pretty well. Well, the, I mean, 
I don't want to ruin anything for listeners going to read it, but the scene with Kit and Justin in Eddie's apartment, I felt was very cinematic. The way that I, I was reading it, it felt very much in that realm without giving too much away to people that might pick this up. There are a couple of scenes, I think, like that. Um, and then there are other scenes, like the very the last chapter of the book, um, uh, which I won't say much about, but it's, it's, it's written from Frank's perspective, um, that you can't, couldn't do anything with on the screen. You know, mm-hmm. it's just uh, it's just a man lying there. You know, so. Um, okay, we have you for a few more minutes here, and I want to get to just a couple questions that were asked uh, by my friends Eli and Matt, who gave me the book and suggested that I read it. Um, Eli was wondering about the Great Gatsby. If there's an influence uh, on this book, uh, he specifically. Um, the meeting at the Mets game, he thinks parallels Nick and Gatsby's excursion to Manhattan. Is there anything to that theory? That's an interesting theory. It's not something that I was conscious of. Okay. Um, the, the, the book that um, I was thinking of when it came to the Mets game scene in particular is the Don DeLillo novel, Underworld, um, mm. which um, DeLillo's novel starts um, at the... Um, the Bobby Thompson game, the game in 1951 when Bobby Thompson hit the home run, the shot heard mm-hmm. around the world, um, where the Giants, it was uh, the Giants and the Dodgers ended the regular season tied and they played this one game playoff. And it was uh, so, but it's um, in his, uh, um, who is it? It's Jackie Gleason, Frank Sinatra, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, and Toots Shore at the game together. And it, it, it's written from their perspectives while they're watching the game. And then the mm. whole rest of the novel, Underworld, which I, I highly, highly recommend to anyone who hasn't read it. I think it's one of the best novels of the last 50 years. And DeLillo is, you know, the best living American novelist. Um, the, the whole rest of the book follows around uh, people who um, this guy, this young kid who snuck his way into the game winds up with the ball. That one, it's it starts with the historical fact that this this most famous home run in baseball history, the shot around the world, nobody knows what happened to the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it, you know a weekday day game at times when you know they didn't used to you know sell out every game and and the ball disappeared. So so in the novel, this young kid gets it and then it gets passed around various ways, and most of it is written in the present day and it's tracing out what happened to the ball, um, but everything comes out of that game. Mm-hmm. But that was the anyway. That opening scene um, to that book was what I had in mind when I when I wanted to write the scene of two people at the game, and you're showing what happened on the field, and also showing their response to it. And that's also why I wanted what happened in the field to be what really happened. Mm, I see. I see. Um, I, I know. You know. In, in uh, as soon as I finished it, I wanted to like read up about you and. Um, and the book and just interviews, other interviews you've done. And I know, you, you know, the editor of Harper's is your full-time job here. I know you're not on Twitter, which is just, which is a funny thing because, uh, yeah, not a teaser. You're not on teaser either. Um, and of, of course, you know, the Harper's letter for, for media people. And uh, like, that was obviously a, a big thing that happened as you took over that job. Um, I guess my question is, why aren't you on Twitter? Because I, I have a theory that most smart people are not on Twitter. Like Michael Lewis, not on Twitter. There, there's a bu- Packer, George Packer, not on Twitter. There's a bunch. What's your, what's your, your thoughts on that? I, I would say this. I don't want to say that there are no smart people on Twitter or that most smart people are, are not on Twitter. One thing I found, I used to be on Twitter. 
and there was a time where I was not just on it sort of uh, begrudgingly, but I, I, I don't know, 10 years ago, I, I, I did it. I was on it and was on it the way the people who were really on it are, you know, I was getting mixed up in conversations. I was, you know, I had a decent number of followers. I, it was a big part of my like daily life. Um, and I found one thing, which is that there was nobody who I, admire for some other reason like a, a, a writer or a thinker or a you know public figure musician whatever or even people i knew personally who i came to admire more on the basis of my watching what they did on social media not a single one the best you could hope for is that it was neutral you know it was like oh i don't think any differently of this person but the vast majority of the cases you think slightly less of the person this is matt my friend matt's theory the one who asked the question he was you know he, that's exactly what he'd say <laughs> you don't like anybody more what's the yeah what's what's the benefit here like at, at best i won't make someone hate me but but, <laughs> but, I, but i also found personally it just wasn't good for me you know i got i in all the ways i don't even have to get into it everyone who's on twitter knows secretly that it's not good for them uh it's just not good for our souls you know NBA Twitter, though, is good. NBA Twitter is good. It's pretty entertaining. That's fun. I, I, I actually will say it's, it's um, I'm, I'm sure that if you have like a, 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 a sort of niche and you follow it because it's where you want news about something or like sports or something else, that, that, that there are ways to do it where it's not super unhealthy, but it was terrible for me. So I mm -hmm. got off it and then... I didn't really have, I mean, I was spending six years writing this book. I didn't really have anything to promote. It didn't really matter. And then the book is coming out and, and, and you want to just do, you will do anything to try and get a book that you've worked on for many years into people's hands. And someone said, you know, it would help for you to have a social media presence. So I got back on Twitter, but then I became the worst kind of person on Twitter, which is a person who's kind of like, begrudging and is on it at the same time that he thinks he's really better than it. He's <laughs> clearly only there to promote stuff, to promote himself. The only thing he tweets about is like a review or when his reading is going to be or stuff like that. <laughs> so it was just like, I, then I, I, it, like even I hated me on Twitter. And then um, on top of it, I just like, I had no sense that it was doing any good. So I got off again. Um, and this time in a sense of like, I'm not, I'm not going back on. And then as it happens, um, I, right around the time I decided to get off again was also when we at Harper's, uh, then published this thing, this Harper's letter. Um, so it was very good timing. I think mm -hmm. it was, very, it, was a, it was a good time to not be on Twitter. Um, <laughs> you know, everyone on Twitter was talking about, you know, what idiots we were. <laughs> What have you learned? In, no, we won't get into that. Okay, we'll, we'll leave the Harper's letter aside. That'll be a different podcast. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, it's, it's, it's also true when it comes to, to that stuff um, that, that I'm not – when I'm judging a writer, for example, um, I'm judging him or her on the basis of, like, the articles, the books, um, like, what I would think of as, like, the work. And if that person also goes and, like, trolls people and says like stupid stuff on twitter and kind of makes an ass of himself i don't even really know about it you know so 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 i will sometimes be saying to my colleagues here like oh should we go get so-and-so to write something and they'll all kind of roll their eyes 
And I'll be like, well, what? You know, I read his book and it was pretty good. And I read this thing he did for the Times Magazine. And I read this thing that like she did for the Atlantic. And they'll be like, yeah, but did you see what she tweeted yesterday? Mm. And I'll be like, no, I didn't. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know what to do about that. I mean, I don't know if that's we're going to solve that, the three of us in the next like three minutes. But <laughs> it's just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be in that world. But it is also true that like, it is a reality that, that, that that world exists and that lots of, for lots of people, it, it is the world, you know, um, or that's like, that's, that's the place where the culture is happening and everything else is just like grist for that as opposed to for the rest of us, the everything else is like what the culture actually is. And this other thing is this um, uh, sideshow basically. Well, that's a, I think, a good place to wrap it up. Mike, any other, uh, any other questions? No, uh, just uh, thanks for the book, man. It was, uh, it was a, <laughs> it was a great read. I, I've been thoroughly enjoying it, and sort of just sort of like Max had devoured it after Max. Max recommended it to actually me and our other co-host on this podcast, and I was like, all right, let's give it a roll. And then he's like, yo, the author's coming on, and I was like, well, I guess I got to get reading. <laughs> actually, you know what? I had a pod listener DM me being like, what was the book that you recommended on the, the year-end pod? I want to get it for my dad. Listener lives in Chicago. Dad's a baseball. Is there something about baseball? I was like, oh, here it is. So, yeah, we're, we're spreading the word up here. Well, you guys should have a uh, regular literature feature. Cause... But here's it's the thing. It's just going to be you, needs... though. Yeah. It's just going to be you. <laughs> be, because, Christopher, uh, the, the thing is, like, as I said off the top, I, I'm not good at reading books. I'm, I'm quite ashamed of it. I wish I could devour books. I have friends that, are, you know, I read a book a week and I'm like, oh, my God, I feel like such a piece of shit. And so if you can tell me more books that are as good as your books, we'll, we'll have those authors on. But uh, so what do you recommend? What, what's, what, okay, if I want to be uh, – the speed of this book is – perfect for me and especially a lot of the content and the setting and all that would you recommend another book that sort of tonally kind of is in the same world totally in the same world um i mean i would i i I can recommend just like stuff i like uh i don't don't, yeah it's tough for me to say that like it will it will like scratch the particular itch that that this book did for people but um as I just mentioned, uh, Don DeLillo's Underworld mm-hmm. is, is a big book. Um, it's longer than this book. Um, and it's got, you know, uh, like broad social stuff, but also like a, 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 the way that baseball is, is interweaved into that book um, is really interesting. Okay. Um, I recommend that everybody come March 2nd by my wife's book. <laughs> uh, Maud Dixon by Alexander Andrews. Um, and um, I read a lot of uh, 19th century stuff. Mm. So, I mean, it, it, to be honest, the, the, the novels that I was thinking about while I was writing this, um, uh, one of them is Middlemarch by George Eliot, which I think is the greatest novel written in the English language. Um, I am. Uh, I was reading a lot of Dostoevsky while I was writing this. I was reading mm-hmm. um, Henry James is a big favorite of mine. Um, but for for those people who want like a good, like really engaging and kind of like plot driven, but also has like interesting play with ideas, um, a multi character book. If you have not read Middlemarch, that's that's the one that 
I would press on you. Okay, last last question. What kind of last name is Beha? Am I saying that right? That yeah, it's Beha. I mean, I mean, I, I don't. Beha. Yeah, basically, that's that's right. Um, so my family are are German Catholics from Bavaria. Um, oh. However. Um, Germans do not recognize it as a German name, and we have been told at various stages that, in fact, it's a Sephardic Jewish name. Oh, you're one of the tribe. Yeah, the, yeah I may be a secret tribesman. Um, mm. And uh, that, that the Bayes um, maybe came from Spain to Germany during the Inquisition. Well, my dad's a New York Jew, and we'll take you, okay? Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I actually, uh, a lot of the... Um, the books also that I was thinking about are books by people like Bellow of the like the, the, the New York uh, Jewish tradition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much. This has been really such a pleasure. I was looking forward to this. Uh, it's great to talk to you. Really appreciate your time. All right, thank you to Christopher Beha for having a conversation with Max and I. We hope you guys enjoyed that. We are back for Shane's surprise. And just off mic, there was a little bit of confusion. Shane, do you want to let us well, in on this? Yeah, well, we can play the tape. Let's rewind the tape here and go to where I was confused because <laughs> luckily we were recording on it. But uh, in case we don't do that, uh, Cole's notes here, I thought we were talking about the Tiger Woods doc and the, the Bee Gees doc. This was the doc episode I was looking forward to. So, <laughs> And then we talked about <laughs> the stock market, uh, something you don't give one yeah, shit about. Yeah, so what this I was doing was, like, sometimes if you guys are talking about something I'm not particularly interested in, I'll, I'll lay back and let you guys have at it <laughs> and then jump in for the more fun stuff. But then it was just like Mike, like, okay, we're thrown to the interview and then the Shane surprise. And I was just a little taken aback because, yeah, I, I just I didn't know it was going to be all stuff that I uh, don't care for in this episode. Not not the interview is great, but I wasn't invited to that either. But <laughs> it doesn't matter. I thought, we were, I thought we were doing Tiger and I asked Maxie in our little pre-production texts and he killed Tiger and Bee Gees. So I was surprised too. I Maybe you missed that. that I was so though, fired up on this GameStop thing. And I also I didn't watch Tiger. If, if I, I, I finished it last night. Me and Danica finished it last night in prep for today's episode. So I was yeah. a little crushed when it got killed. Did you too, like but, it? Uh, me? Yeah. I loved it. Did you? I really, really, okay, good. I thought the doc was very is, well is done. both parts out, by the way? Yeah. Yeah, boy. So here's what I'd say. We are absolutely going to do a Tiger Woods uh, Bee Gees documentary episode. There's your tease. Maybe mm-hmm. the next episode, that's what it will be. You know, actually, I, I tried to watch it the other night, but over, I was over at Ashes, and, and Crave isn't signed up on the TV. The TV setup is different. It just got changed mm-hmm. over. And then I texted our patron saint, Justin. I was like, how the fuck do I... I'm trying my... I tried for 20 minutes to add Crave to uh, <laughs> to the TV, and it couldn't happen. But it was good. He got back to me. He was like trying to do like customer support. <laughs> That's great. hilarious. Yeah, like a VP at Bell. It was like, okay, did you try this or did you try this? <laughs> That's great. Okay, yeah, this might not lead the best to conversation, but I thought this was an interesting story. There's a barber shop. I'm not sure if you've heard of this. That's pulling kind of a Nathan Fielder-esque stunt. Because have you heard of this? I have not heard of this. I'm intrigued though. Okay, so you're not, salons are supposed to be closed. But there is a loophole that if it's part of a theatrical production or movie, a salon (laughs) can be open. So you're allowed to go to this salon, but you have to be part of a movie and you can get a haircut. Where in what city is this in? 
I think it's. In, I did see this story. Yeah, it's in like yes. Scarborough. What city is it's it? in like Scarborough or Brampton, one of those. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so you guys know I'm fairly political with my hair, right? So yeah. I, I was like, oh, I don't want to get a haircut because of that reason, but I do want to check this out so badly. And I know you guys uh, like haircuts. I'm dying for haircuts. Yeah. So I was wondering, would you do this? Like, and, and what wow. do you think of a stunt like this, which is kind of in line with uh, that boring story up the top about the, the, the Redditors <laughs> pulling that prank? You know, they're kind of fighting the man here. I, you know what? Um, I Full disclosure, I messaged a friend who has a hair salon. I was like, hey, do you think... We could do a little private sesh, if you know what I mean. Let me in. We'll close the windows and all that. And he's like, not doing it. I was like, okay. So, uh, so I've been poking. I've been poking around looking for a haircut. So, as you know, obviously we need to take this lockdown very seriously and everybody has to do their part. But under the right circumstances, I, I think I could be into it. I think it could be fun. What, 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 what's my acting? Do I have a, like a character role? Do I, I would, well, what I think it is, is it's like you're auditioning for a movie and they film it. And if you they film the haircut. Yeah. And if you do well in the audition, the, the bullshit presumption or lie is that, oh, you're going to be cast in this movie about haircuts. <laughs> but you have to sign a release. So there, there, it is in play that, Max, you would go to get your haircut and then they would just, you, you would get they could use the footage what's the place called do you know i don't know I, I no, don't i'm sure if you did a yeah. google but theatrical haircut toronto i'm gonna look that up okay yeah just type haircut auditions because that's the way they're doing it they're basically saying it's an audition while you get your haircut and then that's okay. how they're able to operate as a movie studio as opposed hmm. to a hairdresser since a movie studio is an essential service mm -hmm. i suppose which seems weird as well mm -hmm. um but, oh it's, it's niagara i think yeah. Well, he, I, Shane brought up a good point. Like this is like this is a version of sort of like circumventing the rules in, in this hairdresser's sense to to save her livelihood and to provide a service. Like are like we killed the, you know, the 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 barbecue guy and then people yeah. seem to be are people applauding this Shane? Are you getting a sense of what the the vibe is with well, I think people are appreciating the Nathan Fielder-esque element of it and the, the creativity. I guess it's not very creative if he's ripping up Nathan Fielder, but I think it's funnier than a guy just opening a, a barbecue thing. Yeah, I think this is uh, in Niagara region. Niagara region is investigating a hair salon that's operating by allowing people to sign up for, quote, auditions for a podcast and possible documentary. Mm -hmm. Spokesperson from Niagara region said they're aware of the situation at Chrome Artistic Barbershop that there is an active and there's an active investigation. Um, and there's a whole, yeah, hair salons are currently not allowed to be opened. An adult audition, <laughs> quote, costs $37, while a kid's audition costs $27. <laughs> That's funny. It'd be funny if, it'd be funny if all these cops, like, were like, we need to, we need to go undercover, get some cuts, check it out, see if it's legit, just because they all want haircuts. <laughs> they all want haircuts. <laughs> yeah. The Facebook page has, um. Uh, we are working on something interesting, something original. Original, sky's the limit. Come join us and possibly be a part of our project. We're working on a podcast and potentially a documentary to follow, starting now. We'd love to have you come in for a haircut experience and be yourself. That's awesome. <laughs> Share what you want or don't. No pressure. Any questions, call this number. Safety You're going to do it. I can hear the excitement in your voice right now, Max. <laughs> Manager Ash is right there. Would she let you do this, Max? Um, no, she absolutely wouldn't. Um, the, the thing about... 
The difference between the barbecue guy and this is that there's a tongue-in-cheek sense of humor thing. I think what rubbed people the wrong way, myself included, with a barbecue guy is that he was acting like he was some kind of superhero, like man of the people, like I'm taking the power back. And he, and, and he was like, I will die for this cause. And you're like, fuck off. You have a barbecue shop. Like, go home, okay? Go the fuck home. This is funny. If you have a little bit of a sense of humor with it and the cops show up, like, you got to go. And you go, ah, okay, we tried. You have a little grin. Get on your way. I like the tone. And of that something more. about barbecue seems like you'd be more likely to be a Trump supporter too, like barbecue <laughs> it's and like Trump. A redneck thing to it. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's an element to this. I think one thing that is, I think people are super frustrated with the arbitrary nature of the regulations. Yeah. And this kind of gets at the heart of why a film studio can operate, but a hairdresser can't. Like, if this hairdresser was doing hair on a set they'd be allowed to work. So it's just like, why is one able to and the other one's not and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This kind of strikes at the heart of that as well. Mm -hmm. Shane, would you get it? I mean, I know that you've taken a political stand, but Mm -hmm. would you get a haircut at this place? I want to just go, I want to go check it out, but I don't think I'd actually cut my hair. Hey, you know, um, yeah, you know, we're thinking about like our, you know, our tendencies for like, you know, early in the pod, Mike, you know, not being able to sort of like deal with the stock market, for instance. Uh, how are you guys with haircuts? Because your brother, Greg, notoriously is a maniac when it comes to his haircuts, because he's always riding the hairdresser like hard. Like, yeah, he directs lo- them. He directs them. He and he's and he's most, I, you know, I was roommates with Greg for a long time. Like, I'd say like, I don't know, nine out of 10 haircuts. He'd just come back, just irate, shaking fuming. his head, fuming. He'd be like, they fucked it up. They fucked it up. I've never seen somebody get so angry every single time. Uh, how are you guys with, with haircuts? Uh, do you guys respond well generally? Are you easygoing about it? Yeah, I just watch the train wreck happening and I just don't say anything. <laughs> It's like when a waitress mm. comes by her waiter and asks if I like the food. If it's terrible, I go, great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, That's yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, I just watch it. <laughs> what about you, Mike? I, I bring a photo uh, and I'm like, I'm pretty specific about, like I'm descriptive off the top, but then once they go to work, I let them do their work. That's that's the that's the trust that I have. And but again, it's you know I've bounced around to a lot of different hairdressers because mm-hmm. I have also maybe it's a Veerman trade. I've walked mm-hmm. away irate as well with you know a wacky haircut. Uh, but after Shane found, we've talked about him before in this podcast. Tenzin, yeah. I never walked away disappointed with Tenzin. I would just show Tenzin a photo. He'd give you the 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 the, the star treatment, and then you'd walk out of there feeling like a million bucks. Yeah. I just found I'm wrong about the haircut. My um, opinion of it in the moment. A lot of times I'm like, oh, they're fucking this up they're fucking this up and then the next day i'm like oh they kind of nailed it like you know sometimes yeah. when you leave the the place it's like yeah. you have an impression is the opposite the next day um mike you actually went through a period of time it's kind of reminding me right now because you have a bit of facial hair when you shaved your head like a maniac remember, remember that um yeah yeah i, I actually i kind of grew to like it and you have a good shaped head to be shaved you know some people just can't oh. do it um yeah so you could kind of pull it off shane have you ever had a sh- shaved head yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look good though. Can't do it. I got a big huh. bump here on my head. Nah, it doesn't look good. Ooh, do you think I do you think I could pull it off? Probably not. No, right? yeah, you've no. weird head. No, your hair is a big feature, Maxie. You'd look totally different with a shaved head. Yeah, Shane, you just said I have a weird head. I meant you look good with hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>